The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So we are still in John chapter 10. And so far, throughout this chapter, Jesus has been using a figure of speech that if you've been with us, you're familiar with by now. He has been talking about his relationship that he has with his people, and he's been using this image of a shepherd and his, his sheep. He's like the shepherd, his people are like the, the sheep. And last week, specifically, we saw him tell us that he has sheep from every fold, not just from the Jewish fold. He's immediately speaking into a Jewish context, but he says in verse 16 of this chapter, I have sheep of other folds. And I must bring them in. They're going to hear my voice and they're going to respond and they're going to, they're going to follow me. He says that he has people from all folds, from all nations. He will call. They will hear. They will follow him. This is guaranteed. It's a promise. It's, it's sovereign salvation. Christ says, I will do this. And last week, specifically what we saw is that Christ does this through us. I mean, by the end of this gospel, we're commissioned out by Christ himself. He says to each of us who are his followers, just as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Like, this is, this is his mission that he has sovereignly promised he will accomplish, but he does it through, through us. When we proclaim the gospel to the nations, through our speaking, Jesus is sovereignly speaking. And his promise is that his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. But perhaps, like when we got to the end of that last week, after exploring that, when we got to the end, perhaps there was like some lingering thoughts, lingering questions in your mind. And I think the biggest one after talking about, anytime we talk about the sovereignty of Christ and salvation, I think the biggest lingering question hanging in most of our minds has to be, what about those who don't follow? Like, like, I actually, I received multiple emails this past week asking this very question. Got multiple coffees set up for later this week to discuss this very question. If Christ is sovereign in salvation, then what about those who don't follow, who don't respond? All of us have people in our lives whom we've shared the gospel with, perhaps time and time again, but there's been no response. And, and perhaps you're left thinking, Jesus, where's your promise here? Like in this situation, in this, in this relationship, I thought your sheep hear your voice. And they, they're guaranteed to respond. But my friend, my family member, my spouse, my coworker, my roommate, whoever it is, they're not hearing anything. And so the question naturally becomes, if Christ sovereignly calls his sheep to himself, why doesn't he call this person? Why doesn't he call that person, why don't they respond? Christ claims to have sovereign saving power, but when we see these situations in our lives, so many people that he is not sovereignly saving, it causes us to question that. To question his sovereign saving power in their life, which can lead to us even questioning his sovereign saving power in, my, in our own lives. Like, if he's not saving them, then what guarantee, what promise do I actually have that he's, he's saving me? Anytime we encounter the sovereignty of God and we bring it up next to our experiences, it causes questions, doesn't it? Like, whether we're talking about suffering 
and God's sovereignty, or whether, like today, we're talking about salvation and God's sovereignty. The sovereignty of God causes questions. In this chapter, Jesus speaks to us, as our shepherd, about his sovereign ability to save his sheep. Not so that we will have questions, but so that we will have confidence. Not so that we'll be in conflict, but so that we'll actually be comforted. His aim is the opposite of what we so often experience. Like everything Jesus is saying here about his sovereignty in salvation is not meant to set you in the midst of conflict and questioning. It's meant to give you confidence and comfort you. He speaks this out of a place of compassion for you. So that's... That's what I want us to to see this morning. I want us to see that the sovereignty of God, yes, it may cause us to ask questions, but ultimately Jesus speaks about it out of a place of compassion for your comfort and your confidence. And yes, that is a lot of... I grew up in a Baptist environment. Alliteration's a thing, I'm sorry. I want us to see how this works. How the sovereignty of God actually leads to these I want us to see how this works, both with those who do not hear Christ's voice, those who do not follow Christ's words about sovereignty and salvation. They're meant to give you comfort and confidence in that situation. How? I want us to see how it works there, and I want us to see how it works in our own lives with with our own salvation. It's easy for us to look at others who are not coming to Christ and think so much for God's sovereign salvation. If He can't save them, how do I know that He can save me? I I want us to see how the sovereignty of God comforts and gives us confidence in our own salvation. Chase, last week we talked all about Christ's calling on us, His commission for us to go and to share the Gospel. That's not possible if we don't have confidence in our own salvation. If we don't have confidence that Christ is saving us, how will we remotely proclaim to others that Christ could save them? If, if we do not have confidence in our own salvation that we have eternal life in Christ, then how will we sacrifice the comfort of this life or even our own lives to fulfill His commission? It's hard. It's, it's, it's nearly impossible to call others to salvation that you are not certain you possess yourself. It's hard to sacrifice the pleasures of this life if you aren't convinced that you have a superior pleasure, eternal life with Christ. I'm convinced that perhaps one of the reasons that we are slow as the people of God to proclaim the gospel of God is that we aren't that confident that we are saved ourselves. So our goal this morning is twofold. I want you to have unshakable confidence in your own salvation, which will lead to unshakable confidence in Christ's commission that's our goal that's where we're going in order to get there we've got to see two truths this morning we have to see the truth about those who don't hear christ's voice and we have to see the truth about those who who do got the game plan 
I know it's a little warm. I'm not sure why it's warm. The air conditioner's supposed to be fixed. We'll work on it again. But let's all move on together right here. Number one, the truth about those who do not hear. Let's start there. Christ calls. They don't come. Why? Start reading with me. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you, in Greek, that you is an emphatic position, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So we know that Jesus has been in Jerusalem since the Feast of Tabernacles, which is about two months earlier than the feast that's taking place now, the Feast of Dedication. The Hebrew word for dedication, Hanukkah. All right, so this is taking place in the winter. We'll talk more about that feast and that festival and what all that means because I think we're going to see why John specifically mentions it next week. So we'll save all of that. But basically what we know, Jesus has been in Jerusalem for about two months. And on this particular day, probably due to the wintry weather, he's walking in the colonnade of Solomon. It was a covered portion of the, of the temple complex. Columns, covered roofs, so it was a little bit warmer during the winter. And it was often a gathering place for teachers to teach. And this is where Jesus is walking when all of a sudden he is cornered by a group of Jews. Likely the ones that we've already seen him talking to earlier in this chapter. Because he's going to keep using the same metaphor he's been using of of him being like a shepherd and his people being like a flock of sheep. So they, they corner him and they confront him and they say, if you are the Christ, because you don't look like it. Jesus did not look like the Christ that they were expecting. The term Christ, anointed one, Messiah, it had massive political overtones in first century Israel. Uh, the Christ was one who was going to bring political freedom, set them free from the Roman rule that they were under, set up a literal kingship there. This is why Jesus was slow to embrace that term and apply it to himself, because the way that people thought about it meant a bunch of things that he didn't mean. It's not that he wasn't the Messiah, he just wanted them to understand the kind of Messiah he was, because it wasn't what they were expecting. They say, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. In other words, we don't want any more figures of speech about sheep and shepherds and all that kind of stuff. No more word pictures. Just straight up tell us, are you the Messiah? He's going to answer their question. Not, not exactly in the way they, they want him to. They're actually going to get a lot more than they bargained for. Like by the time he, he fully answers their question, by the time we get to the end of our passage today in verse 30, he's not just going to say he's the Messiah. He's going to say, I and God the Father are one. He's going to make a straight up claim to deity to the point that they are going to want to stone him to death in verse 31. They're going to get more than they, they bargained for. We're going to hone in on all of that next week. Today, this morning, I, I don't want us to focus so much on what Jesus reveals about himself right here. But I want us to see what he reveals about his hearers. What he reveals about us. These people, they want to know something about Jesus. And in his answer, he's going to tell them something. He's going to tell us all something about ourselves. 
That's what we're going to focus on this morning. Look at verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you. You want to know if I'm the Christ, the Messiah? I've been telling you. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Jesus simply says, I have been answering that question for you for a long time now. Like, I, with my words, with all my words, I told you who I am. I am. This is what he's just been telling them, right? What we've seen earlier in chapter 10. I'm the good shepherd. This is the kind of Messiah I am. I'm like a shepherd who lays his life down to save his sheep. I, I've, I've come here to lay my life down Upon the cross, take upon myself every sin that has ever separated you from God. Take all of that upon myself so that through faith in me, not by your own doing, not by your own works, but through faith in me, you can be reconciled to God again, made one with God again. Have him and he have you. This is the kind of Messiah that I am. With his words, he's been telling them who he is. He says, I've also been doing it with my works. With my works that I do in my Father's name. He's, he's saying, I, I've shown you. I've not just told you. I've shown you who I am. I've shown you. I'm the Savior who's going to redeem and renew and make all things new. He showed us that back in chapter 5 when he healed a man who'd been lame for 38 years. He showed us that in chapter 6 when he, excuse me, in chapter 9 when he healed a man born blind. He showed us that. He's going to show us that in chapter 11 in just a few weeks when he heals a man that's dead. Like these miracles just keep increasing in intensity. Lame not good enough for you? Fine. Blind from birth. That not good enough for you? Fine. Dead. He's showing who he is. The God who is going to redeem and renew all things. In his words and his works, he's been revealing his identity to these people. The problem, Jesus says, is that they don't believe. Like, as they see the kind of Messiah that He is, it's not the Messiah they want, so they don't believe. Christ calls, but they don't come. Why? Look at verse 25 again, but let's keep reading. He tells us why. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe. Because you are not among my sheep. Like, Jesus says to them, you want me to speak plainly? This, this, is, this is about as plain as it gets. He doesn't let go of his sheep-shepherd metaphor. He, he expands it. He deepens it. He widens it. He says, oh, my sheep, yes, they do hear my voice. Yes, they do follow me. Why aren't you hearing my voice and following? Because you are not among my sheep. You see, Christ does sovereignly save all His sheep. But not all people are His sheep. And if you're not his sheep, you are not going to believe. That's what he says. 
like black and white on the page. I don't know about you, but like when I hear that, I want to object. Jesus, that, that's, that's ridiculous. It's, that's not fair. Like these, these people you're talking to, these people who are not among your sheep, they never had a chance according to you. They, they can't believe because they're not among your sheep. So how in the world could they be held responsible for that? They can only believe if they were your sheep. You have not sovereignly made them such. I don't know, like when you read this, I don't know if like that's where your mind goes, but that's where my mind goes. But that's not where the Bible goes. This scripture affirms God's sovereignty in salvation. What Jesus is talking about here, it affirms his sovereignty in salvation again and again and again. We've seen it all throughout this gospel of John over and over and over again. We saw it in John chapter 3 where he says you must be born again. The only way you can be born again is by my spirit. We saw it in John chapter 5 where Jesus said all that the Father gives me, no, excuse me, John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All of them. Every last one of them. No dropouts along the way. Sovereign in in salvation. Scripture affirms it again and again and again. Yet, Scripture also again and again and again affirms our responsibility, the responsibility of every single living, breathing human being on the planet. It affirms our responsibility to believe. We see that right here, even in these verses. Look at verse 25 again. Look at it closely. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Like this is something that they are doing. They're responsible for believing. They're making a real choice. They're really rejecting Jesus. It's a real choice. It's a real rejection, and they are really responsible. Next week, when we get down to verse 38, we're going to see Jesus invite them to believe in him again. Like, even though he says they can't because they're not among his sheep, he will invite them to believe again. He doesn't give up on them. He's beckoned them to believe over and over, and he won't quit. They really are responsible to believe. And yet, verse 26 says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. I really am sovereign over salvation. All my sheep given to me by the Father. That's what verse 29 says. They were given to him by the Father. All my sheep, every last one of them, will hear my voice. Every last one of them will follow me. He's just repeating John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. I will sovereignly save them. God is sovereign, and yet we are responsible. Both of these things are true. So, it was a couple of years ago that uh, I did a wedding in Florida, which sounds like a lot of fun, um, but I'll never forget this wedding, not because it was in Florida, but because over half the people, about 75% of the people who went to this wedding got sick, myself included, from contaminated food at the reception. The bride and groom also got sick. I know, right? 
So I didn't actually get sick until I, I traveled back to Birmingham, and I was actually here at work, at staff meeting, when I start feeling bad. And by the end of staff meeting, I'm laying on the floor in my office, moaning. And everybody's like, bye, Jonathan. Hope you feel better. And I text one of my friends who was at the wedding to tell him how I was feeling, and his reply, all he said was, buckle up, you're in for the worst night of your life. I spent the night here. Uh, I, had, I had the cops called on me because someone thought uh, that someone was breaking into shades. So they come up to my office, I answer it, and like a wife beater and boxers and like drooling. I'm like, hi guys, I'm the pastor here. I passed out in the bathroom from dehydration. At the moment, it's 3 a.m., and I'm crawling from the bathroom back to my office. I'm just like, this is my life right now. This is where I am. This is what it's come to. I later found out that the food at the reception had been cooked by the groom's family. One of the groom's cousins, bless her, heart, had been sick. With some kind of stomach virus, she handled one of the main course dishes and it contaminated the food. And so 75 people spent the next 24 hours hugging porcelain. Now, here's the deal. God was sovereign over that whole situation. Sovereign over the wedding, sovereign over the food, Sovereign over the stomach bug that infected my body. God was sovereign over the police showing up. Sovereign over the passing out. Sovereign over the crawling. Sovereign over all of it. God was sovereign. But that groom's cousin was responsible. <laughs> you, you get my drift. Like, like God's sovereignty does not eliminate our responsibility. And our responsibility does not limit God's sovereignty. This truth is everywhere all over Scripture, including when the Bible talks about our salvation. And this has massive implications. Massive ramifications for our confidence, for our comfort. Christ isn't telling us these truths to confuse us and conflict our hearts. No, he speaks them out of compassion to give us confidence and comfort. How? How does this do? How, how does that work? So, so when you share the gospel with someone, it doesn't matter what people you are among. It doesn't matter what country you're in on this planet. It doesn't matter how hardened those people seem to the gospel. We have this confidence when we share the gospel that Christ has sheep among all people and he will save his sheep. I have confidence that amongst all people, I don't know who all the sheep are, but he's going to save them all. I can go anywhere, risk anything, because I have confidence he will do what he said he will do. I can go to anyone, anywhere, at any time with the confidence that it is Christ who saves, not me. And if they are his sheep, he will call them. Maybe not immediately. I do. Hear me, if there is someone in your life who is not currently responsive to the gospel, I'm not looking at you and saying, well, it's because they're not Christ's sheep. You don't know that. I don't know that. The shepherd knows his sheep. We are, we are responsible to share the gospel and Christ through that will call His sheep in His time. The sovereignty of God in salvation gives us confidence to share the gospel with anyone. No matter how hardened. 
they seem. And the sovereignty of God and salvation comforts our hearts. It comforts our hearts because I know that nobody's salvation out there ultimately depends upon me. My friends, my loved ones, my my family members, their salvation does not ultimately depend on my ability to answer all their questions. Their their salvation does not depend upon my ability to be perfectly articulate. Their, Their salvation does not ultimately depend upon me. The sovereignty of God gives my heart rest and and comfort. Maybe you're still thinking, but Jonathan, what about the people who don't come to Christ? Like in light of God's sovereignty and salvation, I'm still confused. The people that don't come to Christ. Jonathan, when when there's someone in your life who doesn't come to Christ because you know that God is sovereign in salvation, do you get angry with God when that happens? Do you like raise your fist at God and blame Him? Saying, you're sovereign. Why didn't you save? This is all your fault. No. We don't respond that way because I am confident that God is sovereign and that they are responsible. Feel the tension and don't cut it. You cut it, you'll run to something unbiblical. This is, this is the tension that the Bible holds. My, my heart is calmed. It's comforted in knowing that I don't serve an unjust God. No, people are responsible for rejecting Him. If my children, we'll make this real personal. If my children, in light of sovereignty and responsibility, if my children come to faith, I will not think, oh, they're so much smarter than all the lost kids. I did such a a better job of raising them. They figured out this Jesus and salvation thing and came to Him. That's not how I react when somebody gets saved. I praise God. God saved them. If my children come to faith, I will fall at the feet of the sovereign Savior and praise Him for opening their eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit to see the glory of Jesus Christ and embrace Him as their greatest treasure. I will praise and worship God forever whom Revelation says salvation belongs to Him. And if my children do not come to faith, won't raise a fist at God Angry, why didn't you sovereignly save? No. I know that they are responsible. They rejected Christ. It's a real rejection. Do you feel the tension here? God's sovereignty, human responsibility. Don't cut the tension. The Bible doesn't cut the tension. And so if you do, you will move to very unbiblical places show you what I mean. If you, if you hold on to God's sovereignty, but you cut out responsibility, if you hold on to his sovereignty, cut out his responsibility, you are headed for something called fatalism. It's not biblical at all. You, you'll have this view that, well, God's sovereign. God's in control. He's going to save who he's going to save. He's going to do what he's going to do. doesn't matter if I share the gospel. doesn't matter how people respond. We're all just robots, puppets on a string, pawns in a great universal chess game. Nothing matters. 
fatalism and a biblical view of God's sovereignty does not lead to fatalism. It leads to faith. Faith that God is able, because He's sovereign, He's able to keep His promises. He will save all His sheep. Sovereignty leads to faith, not fatalism. God's sovereign. We're responsible. Don't cut the tension. If you cut the tension in the other direction, you're going to end up in unbiblical places as well. So if you hold on to human responsibility, but you cut out God's sovereignty, God can't be in control, otherwise we can't have free choices, blah, 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 be held morally responsible, all that stuff. If you go that route, that will lead you to fear. God's not not sovereign. He can't actually guarantee anything. Everything in life is ultimately up to me. It depends upon me. When it comes to salvation, if the people I know and love, if they're going to be saved, I've got to get it done. I've got to get it right. I've got to answer their questions perfectly. I've got to say and do all the right things. That kind of thinking will drive you insane. You live your life in fear. A biblical view of responsibility should not produce fear, but faithfulness responsible so i i will faithfully share the gospel i will faithfully call people to believe trusting that god works his sovereign power through my responsible action that's how these things fit together god works his sovereign power through our responsible action he has always done it that way from the very beginning you go to the beginning of the book god creates a garden he drops a man and a woman in it and he tells adam to garden the place not because he needs a gardener but because he works his sovereign power for his creation through the responsible action of those who follow him and the story of moses who leads the Israelites who've been in slavery for 400 years, he leads them out of slavery, not because God needed Moses to rescue his people. No, God works his sovereign power through the responsible action of those who follow him. This is what Christ did with his disciples to spread the gospel. Worked his sovereign power through those who followed. This is what he still does with us. Sovereignty, responsibility, hold the biblical tension. That's the only thing that leads to confidence. My God is sovereign. I'm confident. And comfort. Confidence and and comfort. Shades, this is not heady theology. This is not abstract thought. This This is real, practical on the ground, shapes the way you see your life, you live your life, shapes the way you you move and act every day in everything that you do. Christ doesn't give us to this because he wants us just to have heady theoretical theology. He gives us this because he wants us to live by it. This, This truth that God is sovereign and that we are responsible, it affects for me every area of my life. Shades, this affects how I parent. I'm responsible. I'm responsible to be a faithful parent. Responsibility leads to faithfulness, right? I'm responsible to be a faithful parent. 
and to parent the way that God has called me to. But I would live in total fear. That responsibility would drive me to fear if I did not also believe that God is ultimately sovereign. And He's sovereign over my children and over their situations. And He's sovereign over the mistakes I make. I trust Him with, with them. His sovereignty gives me confidence and comfort without eliminating my responsibility. This is how I pastor. Like, I have a responsibility to pastor shades faithfully. This is how I preach. I have a responsibility to open up this word and to preach it faithfully. That responsibility would drive me insane with fear. You people are crazy to let me pastor you. You know that, right? Like, that responsibility would drive me crazy with fear were it not that I know that it is ultimately the sovereign God who is leading and guiding Shades Valley. And Shades does not depend upon me. It depends upon Him. And I'm just fortunate to be one member of this body who gets to experience Him working His sovereign power through my responsible action. We all get to experience it. This is how I go about life every day without living in constant fear that death creeps around every corner. This is how I, how I live every day without living in fear that I'm going to contract a disease or die in a car crash or just have a, a heart attack and not wake up. All of those things could happen, so how do I not live in fear of all of that? I mean, I do the things I'm responsible for. I'm responsible to wash my hands, to be a good driver, to take care of my body, which I can do a better job of. But ultimately, I have faith that God is sovereign no matter what may befall me. He is in control and He will get me all the way home so I don't have to live in fear. Yes, I live responsibly, but I live responsibly with confidence and comfort in the sovereignty of God. We live in this tension of God's sovereignty and our responsibility. This, this gives us confidence and comfort for every single area of our life, especially for our relationship with God, especially when it comes to our own salvation. This is where we need to look at our second truth this morning. It's going to be quick, okay? Our second truth this morning, the truth about those who do hear. Christ calls, they hear his voice, they follow. We need to see the truth about God's sovereignty and our salvation, for it will give us the greatest confidence and the greatest comfort. Look at the truth about those who do hear. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus is illustrating the difference between those who are not his sheep and those who are his sheep. He just gave us the evidence of those who aren't. They don't believe. Now he gives us the evidence of those who are his sheep. It's the exact opposite. They believe. And that belief looks like something. It looks like hearing. They hear His voice. They're responsible to hear His voice and they're responsible to respond. They hear His voice and they follow. Are you His sheep? When you hear the Gospel proclaimed, like right now, through this Word, hearing the Gospel, hearing that all of us, because of our sin, deserve to be separated from God forever, but Christ came, died upon the cross, took our sin upon Himself, so that through faith in Him we might be reunited with God and have Him as our eternal treasure and joy. When you hear that Gospel, do you hear His voice? Like, do you say, yes! That's my shepherd! I won't follow. I don't... 
I don't care where he calls. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what the sacrifice is because he's greater than everything else I've got. We used to play a game as a kid in, in school where we'd say, if your house burnt down, what one thing would you save? Does anyone else have these conversations? And the idea was that you're locating that which you value more than anything else. This is... This is what happens when you hear His voice. He's my shepherd. And I value Him more than anything. I'll follow. I hear and I, I follow Him. Do you hear the voice of your shepherd? Do you, do you follow Him? Jesus says, here's the truth about my sheep. Here's the truth about those who hear and follow. Uh, no, excuse me, here's the truth about my sheep. They hear and they follow. But none of that is new information for us. Like Jesus has already said that back up in verses 3 and 4 if you were here a couple of weeks ago. But what he says next in verse 29 and 30, it is new and it is one of the strongest statements concerning his sovereignty in your salvation and it is meant to give you unshakable confidence and comfort. Look at it, verse 28. Sheep hear his voice, they follow him. And Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I give. Jesus says, I do it. I give them eternal life. That's by definition life that doesn't end. Christ sovereignly guarantees your salvation. It was given to you by Him and it will never end. That's the meaning of eternal life. And just in case we miss the point, he not only says it positively, he states it in the negative as well. He not only says, I'll give you eternal life, he flips it and says, and you will never perish. That statement's a lot stronger than we can bring it across in English. In English, we're not allowed to use double negatives. Two negatives make a positive kind of thing. But in the South, we tend to ignore that rule, and we like to stack up negatives anyway to make a statement stronger. No, I ain't never gonna. That's a strong negative, right? Greek does the same thing. Greeks were good Southerners. In order to make a statement more emphatic, just stack up the negatives. There are three negatives in what Jesus says here. Literally, he is saying, no, they ain't never gonna perish. Not gonna happen. He wants you to get that point. This is a sovereign promise not meant to make you a fatalist, but meant to give you faith. Confident faith. Faith that comforts your shepherd will give you life that will never end no matter what happens to you in your life. No matter what comes your way. No matter what you suffer. No matter what comes against you. No matter who comes against you. No matter if you fall. No matter if you fail. No matter what you experience. Illness, temptation, or even death itself. You have been given life that is hidden in Christ. That even death physical death cannot take from you it is eternal life and it is yours what what confidence what comfort as each and every one of us stare down death one day what confidence and comfort do we have in life and death that we are christ's and he is ours what 
What a confidence, what a comfort that the sovereign salvation of our shepherd gives us. He has provided you with eternal life. And he doesn't even stop there. He goes on at the end of the verse 28 to say he will eternally protect it. Like, great that I got it, but what if I lose it? He says, no, that ain't never gonna happen. Look at the end of verse 28. Jesus says of his sheep, no one. That includes you, by the way. I've heard people try to speak of this verse and say, no one will snatch them out of Jesus' hand. But what if you walk out? That defeats the whole purpose of the emphatic nature of His promise. No one includes you. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No thief. No robber. No stranger. All people that Christ has mentioned earlier in chapter 10 is trying to steal, kill, and destroy his sheep. None of them can break the strength of Christ's hold on you. You know why? Why they can't break the strength of of Christ's grip? Just look at verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus says no one's greater than God the Father. No, no, no one's stronger. And Jesus says, when you're in my hand, you're also in my Father's hand. To be in the hand of Christ is to be in the hand of the Father. How's that possible? Verse 30. I and the Father are one. Not the same person. The word one here is neuter which means it's not talking about a person. They are, they are one in purpose. They are one in action. They are one in deity. They are one in, they are united in their grip on you. Oh, sheep of the great shepherd, you are held in the grip of God the Father through Jesus His Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are in the grip of the triune God. Who could possibly snatch you from His hand? This confidence, this comfort changes everything. Levi, my son, he's still scared of the dark. And so, like, it's impossible to get him to go anywhere or do anything when it's dark. Unless I hold his hand. I promise not to let go. I say, I've got you. The grip changes everything. Gives him confidence. Comforts his, his heart. You are in the grip of the triune God and that changes everything. Gives you confidence and comfort that changes everything. Feel the implications. that You can go. You can go to the person in your life who has rejected the gospel time and time again. And you don't even, you don't, you don't know if they're a sheep or not. They may reject right now, but that doesn't mean that they'll reject always. But you can go to them again and again and again. You're responsible to share the gospel with them. And you can do that with great confidence that Christ will call his sheep to himself. You can do that with great comfort that their salvation doesn't ultimately depend upon you and your power, but on the power that He provides. 
His sovereignty doesn't eliminate your responsibility. It empowers it. He works His sovereign power through your responsible action. So we can go. We can go wherever He calls, to all folds, to all nations, with all confidence that He will work through us to call His sheep to Himself. We go with great confidence, and we can go with great comfort. Knowing that even if our mission costs us our home, if it costs us our job, if it costs us our possession, all all the things that the world would call comforts, we're able to go with great comfort. We're comforted because we know that even if we lose everything, we lose nothing. Because even if we lose our lives following the call of Christ, we're promised we will never truly perish. We're His and He's ours forever. This is the confidence and the comfort that comes from the sovereignty of our shepherd. This is why in His compassion He wants you to see this, to see His sovereignty. He wants you to know that if you've, if you've heard His voice, if you believe, if you follow, if that's you, then you are among His sheep and by His power you will always be among His sheep. Such confidence in our own salvation gives us confidence to follow Christ in His commission. God's sovereignty empowers our responsibility to live as the sheep He has called us to be as our great shepherd. Do you hear His voice? Will you follow And when he commissions, are you comforted and feel the confidence from his sovereignty so that you will?